Harry Butthole Podcast is produced in partnership with Joy Sauce. Harry Butthole. Welcome to Harry Butthole Podcast. This is a podcast based on the Korean saying, if you laugh while crying, hair grows out of your butthole. I'm Youngmi Mayor. I'm the host. Every other week, I have a guest on to share a sad story. Then we try to laugh about it to make hair grow out of our butthole. But this week, I'm by myself because I know I promised everyone that I would have guests on. And I've had such an amazing lineup of guests in uh, the past few weeks. But I needed to to make a solo episode because I finished my book. Yay! And I feel like the only people that know about this are the people that listen to this podcast. As you, uh, if you have been listening, you remember a few months ago, I announced that I, I sold a book and I was writing it. And that episode was really popular among the listeners because I sort of talk about the whole transition that I had to have that I didn't realize I had to in my mind as someone who thinks of themselves as a failure, loser, dumbass that sucks at everything. And then uh, that shift that happened in my mind now that, you know, I achieved a dream that wasn't even a dream for me because I thought it was too outlandish and I would never achieve it. And, you know, I guess almost or more than a year ago now, I talked about how that felt, you know, knowing that I was a success. But I mean, I guess I'm, I don't know if I'm a success yet, because the book might flop, folks, it might flop, it might drop, we're gonna drop the book, and then it's not gonna bounce, it's just gonna lay there on the ground, it's gonna flop, it's gonna belly flop. Um, no, it's not. I mean, it might it might flop. I'm not gonna try to be negative. I'm trying to be nice to myself. Um, so who knows if it'll be like a success in terms of external validation success. But you know, just to, in terms of like me, even attempting to write a book coming from this life of thinking that I'm a piece of shit, and then having someone buy that book, that was like a phenomenal like, thing in my mind it made it, it it like made me have to deal with this idea like maybe maybe they were all wrong about me and by they I mean my mom <laughs> maybe I maybe maybe I am good at something mom um I'm just kidding she is supportive in her own way which is not supportive I'm just kidding she's great I, I love her. The book, there's a lot of stuff about my mom in my book. And she is very funny. And you, you will soon see. But um, I just want to talk to you about the fact that hopefully you've been listening all along and you've sort of heard my descent into madness. Um, but I want to talk about how that how that feels to me now, like the shifts that are happening now. Um, and I think part of the reason why I wanted to do this solo episode is because as much as I do talk about my feelings, all the fucking, I won't shut up about my feelings. I'm still really bad at like getting in touch with how I feel. Like the episode I recorded about my feelings about selling the book, that took me fucking weeks to figure out what was wrong with me. I was walking around like in a daze. It's, it's kind of like a disassociative, uh, 
state that I enter when my feelings get really big, it's almost like I'm like, uh, like I'm in a fog and then I'm just like, uh, like a alien, what's this alien is in like a, the body snatcher. It's kind of like that. Like I'm like just a shell of a human and I have no idea what's going on and I have no control of like that disassociative thing. I'm just like, something is bothering me. I don't know what I'm feeling. And um, that happened when I sold the book and it happened when I finished it. And I'm, I think I'm coming out of the fog now because I turned, I think I turned it in like earlier this, I don't even know how long it's been. It's probably been like three weeks and I've been in this fucking crazy like fog body snatchers um, stage. And I think I finally am able to access the big feelings that I was hiding. My brain was hiding itself from, um, I, I know I talk about that response in my brain a lot, but I think it's this thing where whenever some big emotion is coming up, um, even when it should be positive, my brain can't process it because it's such a big feeling and it's short circuits. And so then I go into like autopilot mode and then like days or weeks, even months later, I'll pop out of it, which has, has just happened. Um, so, but, but I think I'm almost <laughs> in touch with them enough to talk about them. And I think the big feel, this is, um, Yet again, unfortunately, just like, you know, when I talked about when I sold the book, I talked about this whole phenomenon of like going through something that other people would think is very positive, but for me feels very negative. And, um, you know, like people will be like, wow, you sold the book. Doesn't that make you feel like you're smart and everyone likes you? And if, for me, the overwhelming emotion was sadness that Maybe I, you know, bought into this a thing that was told me my entire life that I sucked. And it made me sad that up to that point, I really believe that. And so I was like super sad about that at this moment when I should have been happy. But I have to say that after the initial sadness of feeling like, man, this sucks that I was living my life in this really negative mental state until somebody else told me that I'm good enough, which is, you know, not great. Um, I did experience this uh, happiness and pride and feeling like validated. And those feelings came in like tiny waves, but they did come. And I did end up, I think, over the, uh, the past almost year or so, like having these moments where I was just like, I fucking did it. Wow. But then there was a little voice in the back of my head being like, something's going to get fucked up and th this is not going to happen. Like I was like, I would kept feeling this like scary feelings of dread. And then I was like, what, what could possibly happen that the book wouldn't come out? And I was like, could I get canceled? What did I like? And you just like, and I was like, there's absolutely no way, like what could fucking happen, right? But that's just like deep, dark fear territory. It's none of it was realistic. Um, I was like, I mean, I, I, maybe I could die. That, that could happen. That can always happen. But, um, 
but now the book is done. Not also the manuscript's done, but there's like a lot of editing left to do. FYI, it's not going to come out tomorrow. Obviously, I'm just saying like the first phase is done. But um, now that it's done, I think all the big scary fears that I had to kind of push away so that I could finish the book are coming out. One of them, the main one, and the one that I want to talk about is. <clears throat> The fact that my parents will never talk to me again. <sighs> and that's really hard for me to even admit that because through, <sighs> there's some fucking rough shit in there. My God, I, it's probably not that rough reading it, but like. I mean, it's like a thousand times more rough when it's like literally about your parents and you have to think about what they're going to think, right? Um, the way that I got through writing all that shit was just thinking in my head, like, almost like I already lost them anyway. So throughout the entire, you know, year, I just pushed them away and I didn't talk to them. And I think I, I couldn't understand why. Like, even when I was like, I should call my mom, I should call my dad, I would like not not do it and i i'm understanding now that i think i was preemptively creating this barrier so that if they do get so mad that they like cut me out of their life lives then i can be like i don't care i am the one who dumped you do you know what i mean um so this past year, I've literally had so little interaction with them. And they've thought that that was weird because, you know, as problematic as our relationships are, I am, you know, they are a very big part of my life. And I talk to them all the time. And this is, I think this is the biggest emotion that I'm dealing with right now, because it this is the one that took me so long to figure out. Like I kept telling my therapist, like, I don't know why I just physically can't talk to my parents on the phone like I, I even if I wanted to it's like I can't pick up the phone and call them or I can't answer when they call me and I finally understood that it was like I'm preparing for the worst and that's so sad and I, I think it's important to say here that None of it is like gratuitous. It's not exploitative. I'm not like using them to, you know, to make some fucking, make a juicier story. It just so happens to be a very big part of my story of what, like what I talk about and how I behave and who I am is like my parents. And it's not all bad, but it's like this stuff that I think, I've seen so many people go through and I know so many people relate with and I'm just like I haven't seen anyone saying this shit and I just need to say it so you know it's like not just like it's not altruistic only it's not for me being like I'm gonna help everybody that feels my pain it's it's also I want to tell people because I want to hear people say that they also went through this too so then I don't feel so lonely, you know, I, I need to say it for that reason. And it makes me sad that it is the truth. And 
seeing the truth is gonna cause me to get punished again, which is surprise, surprise, replay of my entire childhood. And so that's like the fucking emotions that I'm going through. <laughs> and again, completely outweighs all of the positives that I should be feeling, right? Instead of feeling like I did it, I did this accomplishment, you know, <clears throat> such a difficult thing just to fucking talk about my life. And and bitch, I made it funny, bitch. I'm, I'll say that too. It's funny. I know you're listening to this like, holy shit, I don't want to read that. I'm going to fucking kill myself. No, you will laugh. And like, you know, I, like in this moment where I should feel like proud, I'm just feeling like, fuck, I'm going to get abandoned again by my family. It's so fucking shitty. <sighs> but it might not happen, you know? The book might flop. My parents, will, what if my my parents are mad? They're like, how dare you tell everybody that we did that? And then they're like, wait, only 33 people bought it that's okay we're we're fine it flopped oh god what if it flops and then my parents are like you did all that and it flopped haha ha. we were right you're a loser oh my god please buy my book <laughs> we can't let that happen tell your friends to buy my book um Anyway, that's the main big negative feeling that's coming up. And, you know, I, I, it's not, I, I try very hard not to focus on negatives, but I, I, I can't help it. That's the main one, uh, main fear that I'm living with right now. Um, it, I think it also came out during the whole year in ways that was like, like tr me trying to sabotage, like not writing enough or whatever, you know, or like putting it off and stuff like that. Um, but, but at the end of the day, like I wanted, I want to write it. I think it's funny. I think it's interesting. I think it's relatable. And I really want people to be like, Hey, I, I know how you feel. And it, it, selfishly, I want that. And it's weird. Cause it's like a selfish and a selfless emotion all in one. You know, I want people to feel not alone and I don't want to feel alone, you know? <sighs> Also, I wanted to talk about one other thing um, on this episode. Well, I, you know, I, I, I knew that episode was like pretty popular when I talked about like the negative feelings of succeeding in life, because I feel like back when I was doing uh, Feeling Asian, the other podcast, that would keep coming up over and over again. A lot of guests that we had on the podcast were very successful and they kept being like the loneliest part of it is all the negative emotions that come out when you've done something uh successful and you can't even say but i'm sad because everyone's like what do you mean you just won an oscar or whatever you know and um and now i know what they're talking about you know even though you know relatively my success isn't i'm not gonna even say that that's a fucking fake humble asian thing I, I i now know what they're talking about and i think it is very important to talk about because um that's it stops people from um who have external validation of success and fame from being very honest about how that feels it's not it's not all great right <sighs> anyway um but the other yeah, so I was like, I thought this would be a good like bookend to the year of uh, me writing, descending into madness, etc. 
but I wanted to talk also this week and this might actually now that I am now that I'm recording this this might have coincided with the end of me writing my book was I had a very difficult week of parenting well my son had a very difficult week and I really I just realized that these two things are probably related in the last so the the issue that we that my son was having was that you know he watches his iPad a lot and I it's my fault and I feel guilty about it and I know every parent listening you know knows the iPad guilt but I just like and I felt guilty about it, but I also was like, I can't, I can't do anything right now. I'm too busy. I can't really focus on parenting as much as I would like to. So you know what? As until I finish this project, I'm gonna have to depend a little bit more on the iPad. So he was watching his iPad more than I would have liked him to in the last year, and it started getting like a little out of hand. Um. Because, you know, kids are like, if you give them one thing, then they want two. And then if you give them 20 minutes of iPad, they want 45 minutes. And then it's like two hours. And you're like, oh, my God, it's like 7.30 p.m. What happened? And I'm the worst parent in the world. And um, a lot of those things were happening. And each time I would feel really guilty and bad about dropping the ball parenting. But then I would say in my head, like, okay. I, this is just a really difficult time for me. I'm working on a difficult project. It's not only a lot of work, actual work, but it's a lot of emotional work. It's real. I'm really distraught a lot. So in this short period, he's going to look at his iPad, right? And I just sort of um, allowed myself to stop feeling guilty about that. And so at the end of, you know, like my book turned in and I had a little time while the editor went through it in these last two, three weeks, I had a lot more time and I was like back to being sort of like a fully, uh, like what's it called? Fully focused mom when I'm with my son. And I was like, dude, you were looking at that iPad like way too much. So, um, and then an incident happened where he was at his dad's and he, his dad's uh he watched something on youtube that he asked him not to so he said okay for tonight you're not allowed to watch youtube that's like the consequence of you watching something you weren't allowed and so he agreed and then he just started watching youtube again and then he lied about it to his dad and please don't tell him i told you this he'll probably like obviously no judgment he's a kid but the concerning thing was that, so his dad was like, well, since you lied, you have to go one week without your iPad, completely no iPad, not even YouTube. And um, I sat down with them to have this talk because I decided when I heard the story, I was like, um, I want to also enforce no iPad at my house for this entire week. So it shows that we're in solidarity, like me and his dad are on the same team, which I think is very important for kids to feel. Um, but the reason why I thought that it would be a good idea for him to have a week without iPad was because when his dad was telling me the story and when later Mino told me the story, it wasn't that he was trying to lie to his dad. It was almost like an impulse thing where he didn't even realize he was turning on YouTube 
because he's so uh, I don't want to use the word addicted but so like it, I'm using the word addicted but I don't mean to he's so like addicted to the iPad he doesn't even know that he's clicking on YouTube even even though I think in his uh, in his brain he didn't want to in a way right it was like an impulse thing and that scared me because I was like oh it's it's getting too you know too hard to resist and of course all children need to be taught how to or at least give it given like a fair shot or a roadmap in how to control their impulses so that when they're adults they can regulate that on their own and you know we all live in this world now where we know plenty adults who do not have that because well, not even because uh, the fault of their parents or something, but because our devices are so addictive. And to be honest, I lack that. And I fucking was a full-blown adult when smartphones came out. So I don't even have an excuse. Like my brain was fully formed before, before I got my first iPhone. And I still can't control myself. So, you know, it's important I, I saw it as this thing, like, it's important for Mino to take a break and realize and sort of break that, like, brain connection, the addictive um, need for that dopamine hit, you know? Anyway, so then his dad and I were having this talk where we were telling him, you know, we've decided together that you were not going to look at your iPad for a week, even at mom's house. And Mino had the strongest reaction. And it scared me because he cried so hard but he was crying like you know like when kids <laughs> kids are crying they're like <gasps> like just like just just devastated devastated i have not seen him cry that hard since he was like four maybe and he's nine now and i was just like like me and his dad were looking at each other like oh no like this isn't good so after he cried and i was like kind of scared i was like Mino, I'm so sorry, but like this, if anything, that like convinced me that this is the right choice. Like, I don't think that I know that it's really sad for you to not see your iPad for a week, but that reaction just seems very in my like, I was like, you know, I, I can see that you actually are upset, but like, it's just very confusing for mommy because that's like the level of crying that I don't know, like your puppy dies level of crying. I was like, I don't understand why it's affecting you so much because it's just seven days and five of those days you're going to be in school. Like it doesn't seem like that long, you know, for me, even though I know time is slower for kids. And he said, when I said that, and, you know, I was trying to be very understanding, even though it was like, not that it's ever funny when he cries, but it was almost like, are you, are you fucking with us? Like, um, but after I said that, he said, oh, you, well, this is the thing. When I'm really stressed out, I like need the iPad to soothe me. And I was like, oh, that's so... And then he, he even went as far to say, it's like, you know, adults, when you drink wine. And I was like, okay, you know what? You don't have to drag me in front of your dad. But um, I was like, oh, you know, that I'm really glad that you said that because this is literally exactly why we're cutting your iPad time out. Um, because adults, also, you're totally right, adults do things to soothe themselves when they're stressed out. But how the brain works is that 
it keeps searching for those soothing things over and over and over again. And for example, like you said, wine, like people will drink wine every now and again, and then they'll like want to drink it more and more because they want to get more and more soothed. And then they'll find themselves drinking too much. And then they'll like stop drinking for a month to sort of reset their brain to uh, make it more sensitive. And, you know, it like kind of goes, you know, starts over. And I was like trying to be careful not to like, go into addiction stuff because that's I feel like a totally different conversation and I was like yeah so actually a lot of adults do do that they they go like a month or like even a year without drinking sometimes or if they're if they find themselves like uh, eating too much like uh, desserts because they're too stressed and they'll cut out sugar for a while and just like to reset and again of course like all this language I'm so careful you know how adults like moralize food and drugs like I don't want to instill any idea that there's like a moral high ground of not sobriety and not eating sugar or whatever right so I was just like yeah like people take breaks from things to reset so they don't get too used to having that thing and I was like actually adults do this too with their phones like they will go uh one month without using social media or they will just, you know, go one week without using their phones and uh, outside of work. And um, so we're just trying to teach you how to do that as a kid so that when you're an adult, you can kind of regulate that on your own because kids don't have the ability yet to do that for themselves. And I was like, oh, I'm glad that you said that. And then he, and then when I said that, I, I think it, cl- it, it clicked, but he had, you know, he basically cried every drop of water out of his body already so he could stop crying um and then he, it kind of clicked and we were walking you know back and he was kind of like mumbling to himself like yeah like sometimes I do need a break from my iPad and I was like okay I think he understands right but it was oh my god it was rough but then the the worst thing is that he was he um found this amazing new pho restaurant that it's it's I'm not going to say what there is, but there was like this amazing new uh, Vietnamese restaurant that he found with his dad. And he was obsessed with the beef. Pho. Like they had they only have like a little menu. It's like a little like, you know, those places where they have like five things. And he was like, the beef pho is so good. He was talking about it all like for like hours. And then so we went there after we left his dad's place and we walked in. So he doesn't have his iPad. He usually loves looking at his iPad at restaurants, but he's reading a freaking book. This poor kid. He's like, well, I guess I'll read my book. <laughs> so he's reading a book and then the it was very busy. So then finally, when the server came after like a long time, he was like, I'm going to get the beef, pho, please. And she was like, oh, we're out of the beef. Pho. And then she's like, well, if he wants beef, he can try like beef curry or blah, blah, blah. Or and I was like, well, they have chicken pho and like chicken pho, you know, usually tastes the same. So I was like, Mina, do you have the chicken? And I look at him and he's like welling up about to like, <laughs> poor Mino. He's like about to burst into he's like, I've had a really hard day and I just want some beef pho. <laughs> like that face. And um. I was like, I told the server like, oh, we just need like a minute. I'm sorry. And she was like, oh, yeah, no problem. And then she walked away. And I was like, I don't want to be. I don't want to. Like, <laughs> he was like, I'm just not going to eat anything, I guess. And I was like, you know, do you want to leave? Like, we don't have to stay here. Do you want to leave and go get beef uh, somewhere else? And he was like, yeah. And then he's just like packing up his little book. And I felt so bad for him. Like of all days of 
of all day and i've never seen him like that he like usually just doesn't care if they they're like we don't have beef he's like whatever i'll have like a bowl of wet wet grass like what he eats whatever right (laughs) he's just not picky and so so he's like yeah i want to leave and then he just (laughs) put on his little backpack and we were walking out and i was like well we'll get beef somewhere else and he was like, actually, I don't even feel like eating pho anymore. I just want to go home. <laughs> so upset. But then in that moment, we walked by this little, like, um, like almost like a takeout counter. that ha- For some reason, they had, it's a takeout counter, but they had crab boils and fish and chips. And I guess he had just read this book about fish and chips. And he was like, what, the, what is that? Like, I actually wanted to try that. So, like, he immediately felt better. And then we got a crab boil and he ate like half a crab and he was like, this is really good. And I was like really excited that he tried something new. So everything was fine. Sorry, the story is all of these parts are very important. Anyway, what ended up happening was in this following week without his iPad, a lot of his emotions came out. We've, we've had really long talks like every night. And it's been really fun and great. Like, he's really engaged. We started watching, like, a movie series together at night. He's been reading a lot. We got, we downloaded an animation app because, you know, obviously he he can't look at YouTube. But, like, he can't, he technically can't look at a device. But I felt like the animation app is, like, a learning thing. And then he learned animation. And I was just like, wow, this is, like, all of the stuff that we could be doing instead of iPad time. And now I'm like, I don't want to go back to the iPad, you know? Like, I really like being around Mino. And then every night before bed, we have these, like, long conversations. <laughs> Unfortunately, Mino's just like, I can't wait until I get my iPad. Like, he's just... I'm, and then last night, I was like, Mino... Uh, like just seeing all the things we had done that day we had gone to the park we, you know we had dinner with a friend and we watched a movie and we were doing this like these games like you know at our friend's house and i was like think about all the stuff that you did wasn't that like fun like you were laughing and having fun the entire time and he was like yeah and i was like and honestly when you're on your ipad all day you seem like really depressed and he was like yeah and i was like don't you think it's more fun not being on an ipad i'm sorry i sound like stood mom he was like no i can't wait for my ipad to come back but we'll see i i'm i think after this week it'll definitely be cut down a lot because like i said i'm no longer working full-time from home and i am able to be present way more as a mom but you know, I think I think the one thing that I learned about parenting is that you you never you never really f- I know a lot of parents out there feel like they fuck up, but you can fuck up for months. Like you could have t- even 2 years of too much iPad time, but then it's never too far gone. You know, you can you can change little things and go into the way that you want. And then maybe it'll get too rigid and like in a year I'll be like, okay, Mino doesn't, is only looking at like, uh, 
books that have words in them like okay i think we can let him look at a device every once in a while but but it's like i i don't know like even i think there's just phases of like the, the pendulum swinging in in parenting and childhood and it's like it's it's not that bad i think i think children need to know that there are periods of your life where that's a little loosey goosey and then there are periods of your life that's that's a little bit more rigid and it's going to go back and forth and it's a little flexible i think that was an important lesson that i learned um and you know i'm amazed that i didn't realize that that completely coincided with the year that i was writing my book man it is fucking hard work it's hard to do work and focus on your parenting i think when you look at the actual work of it on paper, it looks like it's not that much. I know I'm talking about raising a child. Of course, it's a lot of work. But like the work itself, it's like, oh, make three meals a day and, and wash clothes and pack a bag. Like it doesn't seem like a lot. But I think the emotional energy that it takes, you know, to like sit and talk to your child and figure out what's going on. All of those things take so much mental work that it's so draining and it is I think that's the work that's like invisible to me and that's what I couldn't understand I was like why can't I do my writing and work and parent at the same time it's because it, it uses so much brain power to like fully be there with your kid you know and listen to them and like problem solve and figure out what the right thing to do when they start crying at the Vietnamese restaurant <laughs> Poor Mino, I love him so much. What a sweet kid. Anyway, so those are my ideas, or I guess my feelings about how it feels to finish writing a book, which I'm not actually done yet. So I don't, I don't how it feels to turn in a manuscript that's going to get edited. And again, unfortunately, like like when I sold it, a happy moment, seemingly happy moment, full of of uh pain and suffering not really but kind of full full of, uh, uh, every moment that no, i have to have a i have to have a better closer this this sucks every you know every event on this is my you know my my theory and i'm standing by it nothing in this world is good or bad it's the same thing at the same time uh, you know a wedding can be sad a funeral can be happy Writing a book can be sad. Finishing a book can be sad. And for me, no, I don't know. But <laughs> sad and happy, right? Everything that's happy is also sad. And well, that like fits because that's literally the theme of my book. And I pl please buy it or else you you're going to prove my mom wrong. Thank you very much. And I'll, and I'll see you in two weeks. Bye. Oh, follow the... Oh, by the way, I've been pasted, uh, posting on Patreon patreon.com slash hairy butthole i hope i hope you didn't turn off the episode before i said this i've been posting a lot there since i have a lot of free time now um you can also follow the podcast on instagram at hairy butthole podcast or me at ym mayor thank you bye